morning, church. You know, you constantly bless me. I really mean that. I watch you. I watch how you care for each other. I watch you when you come and you just move into these little pockets and you pray for each other and you minister to each other. And, and I love your generous nature. And you, you just, you honestly do bless me. And I know that what you do when you come together and you minister to each other, it's a wonderful thing. It's wonderful to receive it. It's also wonderful to have it happen to you. We're talking this morning about restarts. In fact, we're talking this whole month about restarts. And we've looked at a lot of familiar verses, verses that most of us, if you've been raised in the church, you'd know these verses for most of your life. And we're re-examining them to see how that they can maybe be applied more effectively in our lives. We don't want to go back to the same old, same old stuff that just keeps repeating in our souls every few months. And that's more or less what our topic is about this morning. How can we allow ourselves to be changed in such a way that we don't have to keep repeating the mistakes of our past year after year? And in particular, I want to talk about margin. I want to talk about leaving enough space in your life so that when the unexpected comes, we aren't overwhelmed by it. So my plate's been pretty full the last few months, and I haven't left myself very much margin. And so I want to just share with you um, a tendency that I have. I get under pressure, and then Nancy comes. I never ask her permission, by the way, for, to use her in an illustration, because if I ever did, she'd say no. So I just ask for forgiveness at the end of every sermon. But that's all right. All right. So Nancy comes to me and she's going to introduce some kind of thing that she'd like to do. And it's something that's not on my radar. It might be a purchase, it might be some kind of an activity, but whatever it is, when my plate is full and I have no margin in my life, it's never convenient. So I have a choice. I can affirm her. I can support it. I can show a little enthusiasm and get behind it. I can encourage her in it. I can watch her walk away feeling good about herself, feeling good about life in general. Or I could tell her all the reasons why I don't think it's a good idea that I'm really not in favor of it. I actually don't want to do it. Now, if you pause and think about it, which of those two options do you think is easiest for me? So after the dust settles, I usually realize that what she asked was not that big of a deal. It actually could have really easily been done, and all I had to do was just say, okay, But I just can't do that if I don't have margin in my life. And so I put up this huge stink about it, resist it, eventually come around, do it anyway. 
And she's wounded and hurt and might even be mad at me. And I'm actually doing the very thing she asked me to do. But I'm not getting any credit for it. When you don't have margin in your life, when you don't have space in your life, your answer to the unexpected is usually going to be no. And then you eventually come around, you say yes, but you have robbed the opportunity of blessing. You've sucked the joy right out of it. And you have burnt up any credits that you had reserved somewhere from the past. So we're talking about restarting. And that is a great word for people who like to forget certain things and just move on. We've all had those moments. It's also a great word for the perfectionists when we just like to have things done a certain way and if it doesn't quite get that way, we just start over. And it's good in terms of describing people who are just at a new place in life. They're not necessarily running from anything, but they find themselves with a new opportunity, restart. And all of those fit into the two verses we're going to look at today. Most of you know these by heart. It's found in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what the will of God is, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Now, I'd like you to take a look at those verses and see if you can find three words that just kind of stand out to you. And if you feel comfortable doing it, I'd encourage you to turn to the person sitting next to you. If you don't know them, just say, hi, my name is. And why don't you just tell them the three words that stand out to you? In my three words are sacrifice, conform, transform. 10 out of 10? How many of you like those words in the context of somebody placing expectations on you? On the first read of these verses, I sometimes have felt the verse implied that I had to get my act together. When we view things through that lens, when we see God as someone we have to obey, everything is about measuring up. And it's time to do a restart on some of the foundational things that we've allowed to come into our hearts in our perspective of God. The reality is God is not against you. 
In fact, God is for you. You aren't valuable to God because of all the things you do. You are actually valuable because he sees your value. And if creator sees you that way, what would prevent you from accepting that reality and applying it to your life? Allow yourselves to be transformed by renewing how you think. When we allow our lives to get so cluttered, we don't have emotional space for the unexpected when it shows up. And when it comes, we usually don't take the time to even think about God, let alone ask God his opinion about it. And there is a reason why the psalm says, be still. Be still and know. Be still and know. I am God. We know about the three words I picked. Sacrifice, conform, transform. And a lot of times we try very hard to do that for God because we honestly love God. But here's our reality. You and I cannot experience those words in any beneficial way without the presence of God. You don't have to pry the door open to meet with God. Holy Spirit stands beside us. He actually has keys in his hands. And he's saying, here, just use this. This opens that door. But when you have no margin in your life, when you have no white space in your life, when your mind is so cluttered, you don't even notice that the Holy Spirit has told you anything because you are busy trying to pry open the door that you want open so that you can hear God. When we leave rest and peace, we are leaving the presence of God. That's how you know you've left his presence. When the peace of God has left you, when that sense of his presence has left you, when the rest has left you and the anxiety replaces it, when God becomes a set of rules in our lives that we have to obey, then we approach transformation in the exact same way. I want to be transformed. Okay, step one. Step two. Step three. And if that's all God wants from us, then I would suggest, wouldn't it be easier if he just gave us a list each morning that we had to obey? Things that I need to do today. But Jesus' entire life demonstrated one thing that he wanted us to understand. He came to show us the Father. And we see it first when he's 12. He's actually been missing for a couple of days. His parents found out late. And then they start looking for him. They're in Jerusalem. And they can't find him anywhere. And when they finally find him a few days later, he's sitting in the temple talking with some Pharisees and the scribes there, and he is amazing them with the insights about God. Now his parents, they are frayed around the edges. They have been looking for him for days. They have no margin left. Jesus, what are you doing? 
Where have you been? How could you not know that we were looking for you? No margin. And he says, why? (laughs) Why wouldn't you have just known I'd be in my father's house? When he becomes an adult, Philip talks to him. And he says, Jesus, show us the father. Jesus says, really, Philip? Don't you know me? Even after I have been among you for so long, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus came to change our perspective of God. It honestly is not enough to just know the Bible. The Pharisees knew the Torah. They knew the scriptures, and they killed him. When they rejected Jesus, they actually ended up rejecting the Father. To know God, we need to know more than the Bible. And as Jesus prepared for his death, he got off by himself and he prayed, I've made you known to them. And I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. In other words, our transformation is God's presence in us. When life gets so busy that you are scheduling God in, you don't have margin. Life becomes a reaction to circumstance. Life is no longer abundant. Life is surviving. Does that sound familiar? The purpose of Jesus was to reveal the Father to us. And whenever he did, he repre- or whatever he did, he represented the Father. And he invites us to that same opportunity. He says, everything we can do actually becomes an opportunity for people to be introduced to the Father. In two weeks, we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom on earth. But for now, realize that as we come to know the Father heart of God, we actually begin to experience a little bit of heaven. And heaven comes to earth in that experience. It's in that context that we're invited to ask for whatever we want. Paul says, my counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you have been given. You've received Christ Jesus, the master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let the living spill over into thanksgiving. The reality of walking with God is that his joy becomes our strength. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then you will know what God wants you to do in the moment. And some people think that the busier we are, the more faithful we are. 
The more we can juggle, the more we can take on, the more God-honoring it is. What do you think? It seems counterintuitive to stop when I'm busy, to rest and reflect when I'm out of time. Yet part of our transformation is in understanding that time is a gift to enjoy, not a slave master. And when you build margin in your life, your capacity actually increases, not diminishes. How many of you have understand why they call the space down the side of a page and at the top of the page and the bottom of the page, why they call it margins? What do you think would happen if publishers did something like this to conserve paper? And they printed everything to the very edge. It's very difficult to read. For those of you who are photographers, or designers, or engineers, you all understand the value of white space as a concept. But do you understand white space as a biblical principle? A principle for living? Imagine an art gallery with a masterpiece hanging in it, and whoever was the custodian managed to hang all kinds of other pictures all around it and all over that gallery, reproductions and other originals, but nothing in comparison to this masterpiece. And you walk into the gallery hoping to find this masterpiece, and it's actually possible you could look through the whole gallery and still not find it. And if you do find it, the clutter around it is so distracting, it's very difficult to appreciate what that masterpiece really is. Now imagine if in that gallery all the walls were just white and this masterpiece is hanging by itself in that gallery. What does the white space do for you? It gives you focus. It lets you zero in on this beautiful piece of art. You're able to suddenly see the detail and the exquisite nature of it. Why? Because the white space has given you capacity to see detail. If you are going to enjoy life as God invites you to, you are going to need to have white space. Without it, you are going to miss the detail of life. What if the Sabbath was called our white space with God? What really is life without margins? What are we saying to God? I'd like you to look at those two questions, and if you feel comfortable, talk about that with the people around you. Now, some of you are visiting, or some of you absolutely hate it every time I do this. Well, I figure if I have to tell you all my secrets, 
I can do something back to bug you. That's not true. Actually, I honestly believe that if we are ever going to grow close together, we have to be willing to get to know each other. If this isn't a safe place, there is no safe place. So I will constantly invite you to meet someone you don't yet know. And the main reason is because they are incredibly valuable and it will do you good to get to know them. So if you feel comfortable or not, consider talking about these two questions with the people around you. Only for like a minute. Do you remember my three words? Sacrifice, conform, transform. <clears throat> Life without margins is simply our statement of independence. I've got this God. I can handle this God. I'm serving you, God. And that works if God is just a power to obey. Is busyness really what God is asking of you? He says to notice the lily in the field. Our God is given to detail. He's that master painter of every sunrise. He's that sculptor of the mountain ranges we see around us. We're told that he actually notices the needy and pays attention to them. He notices injustice. And when the unexpected bursts on the scene, margin has already built space so that we can adjust and we can respond to it. I have time to pause and to smell a rose while I'm walking somewhere to a meeting. I don't have to settle on just giving a loony to a person in need who approaches me on a street because I have built margin into my life. I can tell if God is nudging me to do more than that, to spend time with that individual listening to his story. White space allows me to pause and hear what God is saying in the moment, not what my schedule is forcing upon me. 
And Jesus talks about God knowing the hairs on your head. He knows the little sparrow when he falls out of the nest. So why did Jesus go off by himself so often? How did he know who to pray for and who not to pray for? Where did his wisdom come from when he lived with people who were constantly trying to entrap him? Busyness is not godliness. Busyness actually often robs us of Sabbath, one day out of seven, that we were supposed to set aside so that our souls got fed and we got margin in our lives. When I have margin, I usually have time when I'm interrupted. I can pause multiple times in my day when something catches me off guard, when a disaster happens. And I can pray for people trying to escape the fires of Fort McMurray throughout my entire day. I can listen to you when you need to talk to someone. Allowing space in my life allows me to pay attention as the Holy Spirit speaks. I can enjoy listening to God when I haven't filled my mind with tons of expectations and deadlines. And you might say, well, that's easy for you to say, but you don't have my schedule. You don't have my responsibilities. So listen to Paul again, and this time from the message translation. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. You know, you are absolutely right. It isn't easy to get off the treadmill. But when you are on the treadmill, do you find yourself being drawn closer to God? Or are you finding that you are having a distance begin to grow between you and Him? Too many people tell me, God doesn't talk to me. I don't hear the Holy Spirit. I just hear my own thoughts. How do you know it's God? And I think it's time I started asking them, how much white space do you have in your life? How much margin? Paul says, I urge you to place your life before God. You see, Jesus understood this. He said, it's really nice because I just tell you what I hear my father telling me. It's comforting because I see what my father is doing and I just copy him. He says, I watch how my father treats people and I treat people like that. Six times in the Gospel of John, you will hear Jesus say those words. And when you and I spend time in the presence of Holy Spirit, 
we are honestly being changed. Our thinking is changing. Our attitudes are changing. Even our language changes. We're kind of like the threesome that I join on the back nine on the golf course. And around the 15th hole, they finally get around to saying, and what do you do? And then they're going, oh no, he's a preacher. And for the last three holes, their language changes, their behavior changes. Anytime a word slips out, oh, sorry, Padre. When we are with Holy Spirit, we clean up nice. Do you hear me? When we carry his presence with us, he spills over into the lives of the people we're with. Sacrifice, conform, transform. Our sacrifice is giving up our busyness, our independence, and striving so that we can come close so that we can have margin to listen for the Holy Spirit's voice. You know what? None of us like to conform. So let me tell you some good news. Paul says, don't. Don't conform anymore. We've conformed enough. Stop. Instead, allow margin in your life. Start paying attention to what God is saying throughout your day because you actually have room to pause and say, how do you feel about this Holy Spirit? You'll hear his invitations to pause and to enjoy the beauty around you as you walk. You're going to start sensing the nudge to say an encouraging word. You're going to know how to spend the 10 bucks that's in your pocket and have the joy of seeing a person blessed by your kindness. One of the greatest gifts we can give to each other is to listen. Consider coming early, for example, on Sundays. Not to be on time. That would be, that would be, I, I don't think we can convince us for that reason. To come early to see who God is bringing here. To see if maybe he is just nudging you and saying, you know what, they could use a word of encouragement. Why don't you go pray for them? What has God given me for you? When you see people around you and you have margin, you're actually able to quiet your heart and just say, Lord, is there something you would have me share with them? Is there something I need to be praying for them? And then you pause and you listen and you reflect. When you sense you know what you should do, it's at that point where you actually then should do it. Just do it. And for some of you, that might be terrifying. And you say, it's easy for you, Dave. You're a preacher. Preachers are supposed to do those things. Well, I have news for you. 
I'm not on staff here. I'm just a guy. I just happen to have lived longer than many of you. And as God pulls me to himself, you become more important to me. You know how close you are to God by how much you honestly care for other people. You cannot love God deeply and not love people deeply. Do you want to love God more? Then understand how important the strangers among us are to him. And to be honest, what does it matter if you have been coming here for 20 years or if this is your first day? If you love God, that should not even be a factor. You are allowed to speak blessing into another person's life. You are allowed to pray for those who need to be prayed for. This is what real love is. It is not our love for God. It is God's love for us. He sent his son to die in our place to take away our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us that much, we also should love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is made perfect in us. It's complex. I want more of God. And I don't want to look like an idiot. And we live with the tension of the balance. I don't want to make a fool of myself. What if I say something stupid? I have no idea what to say. Well, welcome to sacrifice. And welcome to your transformation. But do not conform. Very few people get offended if someone's trying to be nice to them. Don't conform. Be transformed. That's what the Holy Spirit does in you and for you when you allow margin in your lives so that we can check in with him and discover that he is giving us wonderful things to do that enrich the lives of others. We're coming to one of these special times in our service today. It's where we get to break bread together. But it's the Lord's meal, not our meal, in one sense. But it is our meal because he says, this is for you. This is for you. Do you know what it, it does when you actually pause in your day and break the communion bread together? You know why he said to do it? He said, do this so that you remember. Our communion time is an opportunity to just be quiet and allow the Holy Spirit to build margin into your heart and into your life. Build space to actually consider things 
that if we had just gotten up and left, we might never have even considered. Why? Because we didn't take time to just simply pause and think the thoughts of God. So I'm going to invite you to just come and to begin to to take communion. If you want, if you're here with a friend and you want to just take communion together, you are free to participate in in this time, in whichever way you would like. But here's one thing I would just love to add to this time. Allow this time to build margin in your life. And as you come, I want you, or I encourage you, to look around and look directly at the faces of people, whether you know them or not, and listen to see if the Holy Spirit says, I would like you to go And encourage them. (laughs) How's that? You all right with that? Thank you, seven. Okay. This is a wonderful thing. Because this is part of sacrifice. Where we lay down our fears. We lay them out before God and say, What I want, God, is to be able to hear you speak to me. I want to create enough space that I don't have distraction when your voice is spoken. And I want the courage to be able to follow through and do it. So I invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for you. The worship team can just come and and lead us in a time of, of just worship while we have communion together. And if God is encouraging you, Go bless somebody today. So Jesus, we quiet our hearts now. We quiet our thoughts now. We just put this afternoon out of our heads now. We invite you to build some space into our lives. What are you saying right now? Thank you that we can remember you. That we can remember what you have done. This bread is your body that was broken for us. What does that mean, Holy Spirit? What did that do for us? This cup is your blood. It's a new covenant in your name. gives me permission to come right into your presence and to ask you these questions and you promise to answer.
there's more for us to learn. So as we come now to this table, and as we break bread together, and as we leave space for you to speak, would you show us the next step, just the next step, not 10 steps, not three days, what would you have us know or do before we leave this place this morning so that you would continue the transformation that you have begun? And we give our lives to you as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is reasonable. It's so reasonable when in light of this table. So we come now with gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen.